All right. So we're on Lesson 28, and um, I titled this lesson, Not For His Sake Alone. That's in reference to Abraham, because of a phrase that we'll get to in, in uh, just a few minutes. But as we're continuing our study in the book of Romans, of course, we started off with talking about the gospel, and then comes the key verse, uh, more or less in Romans, which is the just shall live by faith. That there is only one way to be established, and that is through faith. And uh, like I was just sharing um, before class started, um, there are people that are denying that faith is necessary, that Jesus' death saved everyone. That's called universalism. And um, in universalism, um, Jesus paid the price. God's is full of infinite love, therefore he will not reject anyone, will not send anyone to hell. Um, even the devil will ultimately be rescued. And um, that everything, because God is too loving to do those things. And so that this love thing becomes a key that hangs over so much. But notice that Again, I've used this verse so many times. God so loved the world. Right? He so loved the world. So there's the love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, whoever believes shall have eternal life, everlasting life. The one who believes, there's faith. It, it isn't God so loved the world that everyone has everlasting life. That, it doesn't say that. And we're going to, next week we'll get into Romans 5, and, and there's a manipulation that the universal church has used just in the opening verse of Romans chapter 5, that, that they manipulate the verse so that faith is not ours, it's God's faith, it's Jesus' faith. We're all saved by Jesus' faith, not by ours. But that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us we're saved by our faith in God's grace. And so this is what Paul has been talking about. As he's gone down through this, this in the first, basically three chapters, was establishing that righteousness is uh, a result of faith, not morality, not human effort, not trying to fulfill the law. And over and over, he's restated that this issue, basically, the just shall live by faith. And righteousness, that's just, the righteous ones, uh, those who are in right standing with God, live because of faith. And, and their faith is the emphasis and he says that over and over through chapter 3, and he's going to say it more here in chapter 4. But the principle now as he comes into chapter 4 has turned to an illustration. And he's using Abraham, which he's talked about, but here he becomes the real, the real um, principal actor in a, in a sense, in a drama that he is presenting. Now, this is real. I'm not saying it was made up. But the story centers around 
Abraham and Sarah and believing for a child, believing for the promise. And that child was who? Isaac. But it was more than Isaac, wasn't it? Because God didn't say you'll you'll have a seed. He said you'll have nations. A multitude of people will come out of you. Multitudes of generations of people will come. And the seed also replied applied to the Messiah because as Paul points out in Galatians chapter 3 he didn't say seeds as numbers of children generations of of descendants seeds he said seed as in one that's the way Paul says it in Galatians 3 and that one seed is who Christ right Jesus so we got Isaac then we got Jesus but then from that we've got what Nations, generations of believers that have come through salvation and all the way up until the time that Jesus returns. So this living by faith is a principle that he's going to establish. Now, in the first part of chapter 4, he used David for a little bit, but mostly he's been talking about the fact that it's it's faith, not works. Grace, not law. And so law demands that you work. Grace demands faith. And so there is, there is nothing that you can receive from God that doesn't come by his grace. Nothing comes by works. And everything that we receive is a gift from God. And it comes to us by grace, not by our human effort. And especially righteousness and spiritual things are not a result of us doing something or not doing something. They're a result of our believing. And so those are the principles that he's been establishing down through chapter 4. And he talked about the evidences of of circumcision, the sign and the seal, which will again come up just a little bit Uh, in our lesson tonight. But let's go to Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to read the last number of verses, starting in verse 20. So uh, Romans chapter 4, and beginning in verse 20, where Paul is kind of bringing this whole argument, in a sense, to to, uh, a a point, to his, his conclusion. So he says, no unbelief made him, that is Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. So there's my title. Not for his sake alone. So this this statement counted to him as righteousness doesn't just apply to Abraham. But what? Verse 24, but for ourselves also. It will be counted to us who what? Believe. Who believe. Not just accept. Not our appointed not our chosen, us who believe. All right? To account it to us who believe, 
in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So that's where we're going in our session tonight. So let's go back to um, just a little bit uh, into chapter uh, 4 and verse 20. We we kind of tucked on this in the former session, uh, but I just want to firm up a couple things. No unbelief made him waver. We talked about this word, unbelief, which simply means not faith. It's, it's a place where you've had faith to hear, but not to that. It's, you know, I can... I can sit on the bike, but I can't pedal it, right? Taking your feet off the ground and actually pedaling your bike. I got faith to sit on the bike, but I can't pedal it. And um, I got faith to get in the car, but not to drive it, uh, you know. So we, we have limitations. I can believe God for my salvation, but I can't believe God for healing. How many people in the world, you know, face that situation? Well, you know, but God just chooses who he wants to be saved. That's like, or who he wants to be healed. But he doesn't choose who he wants to be saved. We're saved by faith, our faith, not by God's choice. So, again, these are... Uh, these are principles that we have to understand. And so he said, no unbelief, no limitation of faith made Abraham waver. Well, we've all read the story. Genesis chapter 12 and forward, um, up to around verse t- chapter 24, 25. Uh, Abraham had some serious questions. Hey, we, we, you know, that's not hidden. God wrote it there. Then how can it say here he didn't waver? Well, let's look at this word um, to waver. Because what it says is he didn't, he didn't single out something to not believe. He wavered, but under what circumstances? Natural things. And so there were natural things that kept coming up in Abraham's mind and Sarah's mind and probably in their conversations and probably in their friends that would gather around and the other people and they'd be walking, you know, through the camp and they'd hear the people say, well, like, there they are, you know, like, no kids, it's never going to have a kid. They say they're believing for a baby, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not going to happen for them, you know, so... You know, they could hear all of this. They, they thought it because they're looking at the natural things. And many times, you know, we, we waver when we look at the natural things. What did Peter do? He wavered when he looked at the wind and the waves. Now, I don't know how you see wind. I guess because the spray was blowing, you know, Peter was walking on the water. But he was walking, it doesn't say how many steps, but if he took one step, that's more than I've ever done. <laughs> so, but then he wavered. Why? Because he looked at the natural things. The, the, the Pharisee, uh, Jairus, came to Jesus. His daughter was sick unto death. He pleaded with him to come. Jesus 
had to stop and heal this woman. He had had to stop and heal this woman. My daughter's dying. What are you doing? You know, and I could hear him going through that in his head. And then one of his servants came running and said, don't bother him. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus didn't turn and say, well, okay. What did he do? He said what? Just believe. Only believe. Just focus on me. (laughs) You know. Your daughter is sleeping. And then all the people laughed and mocked Jesus as he's going into the room. But what? Woke her up. She walked out of there, you know, with a sandwich and, you know, a Coke and fries. You know, so she was, she's up, she's eating, she's great. Just walked. What stories could this little girl tell? You know, but only believe. And so this is, this is what, what we have to f- focus on. But circumstances do make us waver. And, and they do speak to us. And they shout to us sometimes. Or they just, you know, hang over there in the corner and you're trying to ignore it. You know, if, if there was a mouse in the corner and you knew it was over there, you would have a hard time not looking at it. Because it's there and you just... Yeah, I don't want to see it. I don't want to look, but I got to look because it's over there in the corner. It's not. There's no mouse over here in the corner. I'll let you know that. But so we, we, in our natural, we get pulled aside. We get distracted. And that's what happened with Abraham. So as you look at the different ways, did he waver? Yes, in the natural realm, looking at his natural ability. But he wasn't going to have a child based on his natural ability. Is that right? God was going to give him the power calling into being those things which are not. Making alive that which was dead. And so that wasn't going to happen because Abraham you know, was going to do it in his own strength or Sarah was able to do it in her own strength. No, it was going to come because Abraham believed a promise, because God was going to do something. He didn't waver in the fact that he would not make a judgment against the promise. Here's the promise. Natural things? Wow. Natural issues, lies, deceit, distractions, all those things. But you got to look away from those things. And look to the promise. Earlier we talked about how his faith rested upon the promise. And so he, he laid his faith upon the promise. So the bottom of, of the page toward the bottom it says, But against the promise he would not make a decision. And the word decision or doubt is a judgment. Against the promise he would not make a judgment. And this is a a major key to understanding that you can see the natural things, you can acknowledge the natural things, but not make a judgment against the promise. This is, this in the natural is not good. 
but God's promise. But I got a promise. And so I focus on the promise, not on the natural circumstance. And Abraham's questions, <laughs> they were there. Down toward the bottom of your page, uh, I listed some of his passages where he questions, and they just, they outright just challenged God. And, and is right there, Genesis chapter 16. This is in the issue concerning Hagar. Should her child be chosen? And uh, he wavered. And Sarah, it's like, well, let's have a child this way. And, but that wasn't God's promise. That wasn't what he wanted. That was them trying to make a child according to their physical strength, not God's promise. You say, well, it was Abraham's child. Yes, that's true. But it wasn't Sarah's. So it wasn't their promise. It wasn't the seed that God promised that they would have. And we could have, we can have a substitute. We can have something that's, you know, not quite exactly what God wants. And so it's, it's not what God intends for us. Well, it's good enough. You know, it's close enough. No, no. It's what God promised. So he needed to come back to that. Genesis chapter 17. This is uh, concerning the promise of the birth of Isaac. Abraham's thinking, you know, look, I don't have any, I don't have any heirs. And so let's just, let's just go ahead and say, Emelech's going to be my, my, my child. I'll just do it that way, right? That's not what God wanted. He didn't say he shall not, God said he shall not be your heir. Well, but I don't have anybody else, so I guess that's the way it's going to be, right? No, you're going to have somebody. And then, of course, in Genesis 18, this is when God showed up. The Lord came down, and with two of the angels, and the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is one of the most, to me, one of the most fantastic passages in the book of Genesis, where the Lord, the second person of the Godhead, comes down in the form of a man, what they call a theophany, and two angels, and they end up sitting down and having a meal with Abraham. How cool is that? And some people say, well, but it wasn't really God, it was strange. No, because the man speaks as God, which is going to come, you know, in just a few verses. Yeah, it is God. And to sit down and have, you know, what, would they eat s'mores by the fireplace? You know, I don't know what they, I don't know what they had. But uh, they sat down by the fire and partook. It's just incredible. And encouraged Abraham. You're going to have a child. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, probably. No, I don't think so. It's not going to happen. And uh, Lord said, yes. Yes, Sarah's going to have a child. <laughs> she laughed. It's like, no, not going to happen. And uh, God said, why'd Sarah laugh? And she said, I didn't, I didn't laugh. Again. Can you imagine you're, you're that close to God? <laughs> and you're trying to fool him? 
Is that really? You're going to tell him you didn't laugh when you just sat there and laughed right almost in his face? You know, so uh, he said, yeah, you laughed. But you know what? A year from now, you have Chad. Now, listen, I want you to hear this. Their wavering in natural things did not stop them from receiving the promise. God didn't say, hey, you better get back in faith or this is not going to happen. God didn't rebuke them. What he said is, you will have. And he says, yeah, but this is, this is, this is almost impossible. And God said, is anything too difficult for the Almighty? Is there anything too difficult for me? Yeah, you're going to have a child next year. I'll be back. We'll talk about it. Year later, she had a child. So these are the these are the things that were taking place that that God was showing up to encourage. And every time Abraham would get distracted by the natural things, by the circumstances, by the lack of circumstances, um, by people's lies and deceit and all these things, God would show up. And here's two of the times that God showed up and, and gave them a way to reestablish the promise. He said, Genesis chapter 13, the sand, the dust as you see in King James, the sand. Genesis thirteen fifteen says, For all the land that you see I will give you, to you and your offspring forever. This is when the parting of Abraham and Lot. And I will make your offspring as the sand or the dust of the earth. I'll make your offspring as the sand or the dust of the earth. Oh my gosh. There's a promise. So that if one can count the sand, your offspring also can be counted. Wow. That was to refocus his attention on the promise. So what God wanted him to do is keep looking at the promise. It's the promise. And so I'm going to give you the sand. And been to Israel? Some of the rest of you, how many rest of you been to Israel? There's a lot of sand. <laughs> There's a lot of sand over there. And... Uh, our guide said, yeah, God ended up after creation, ended up with a whole bunch of rocks he didn't know what to do with, so he just dumped them all in the land of Israel. You know, but anyway, um, there's a lot of sand. And if you could count that, you can count your offspring. So Abraham had this incredible witness to redirect him to the promise. He could get distracted by people's lies, by the, um, the, the discussions of people, by the, the bitterness of people, by the lack of circumstances of things happening. All he had to do was look at the sand. There's your promise. And redirect. God chose something so real that uh, he couldn't deny it. There it is. There's, there's a lot of sand. Then another time when he was discouraged, 
the Lord showed up, Genesis chapter 15. And this is after this, this incredible time when God put Abraham to sleep and passed through these sacrifices that Abraham had laid out on the ground. Abraham was asleep, so he couldn't participate in this. Just like you don't participate in the promise, you receive it. You don't make it, you receive it. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 has to, has to basically say twice, you can't boast. It's not of yourself. It's of God. Not of you. So you can't boast. Do you get it? You can't boast about it. You did it by faith. All you did is receive the grace of God by faith. And so it is this story with Abraham sets up that same circumstance. It's not your ability to do anything. It's not how many times you confessed it. It's not how many times you said it. It's not how, how many verses that you know. It's do you believe the promise? Yeah, but the circumstance. Do you believe the promise? Yeah, I believe the promise. And so you keep coming back to that promise. And so God here gives him something else. He says, Eliezer is going to be my servant, uh, my, my, my heir. Uh, verse 3, Genesis 15, 3, And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And the Lord God brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens. Number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. So here's that beautiful verse where we see that Abraham's faith is established and reckoned, written down, as righteousness. Why is it righteousness? Because he's believed God. He's believed God's message. He's believed God's promise. And that brings you into a right standing with God. Not something that you have done. You believed Him. Abraham was asleep when all of this took place. He could not participate in this. It was the Father and the Son together making this covenant. And so our salvation is not a covenant between you and God. It's a covenant between Jesus and the Father. And you're in Christ. And the reason you're saved is because you're in Christ. And the reason you have peace is because you're in Christ. And the reason you have strength is because you're in Christ. And the reason you're righteous is because you are in Christ. Amen. And so these are, these are things that a lot of the church today has no understanding of. In Christ, in Him. And so there are so many statements in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters, about what it means to be in Christ. And so this is the reality. I'm not in covenant with God, because if I was, I would break it. I'm, I, can't, I can't keep the covenant. And so the same principle is with Abraham is with us. 
Jesus and the Father made the covenant of our salvation. Therefore, we are saved because of this covenant that he has. And so this was a promise. The stars, the sand, the stars. And then as I put down there in your notes, even circumcision becomes a sign to Abraham. This is something that you see. This is something that is private to you. This is something that is a sign and a seal that you are in covenant with me and I am going to make the promise sure. And so this is the way that God has done these things. And the other night as we were driving home after the lesson, Jan said, you know, a lot of times people don't know what promises to believe. So, so we were talking about that. What promises do you believe? Well, if you haven't read the scriptures, you don't have a whole lot of promises to believe. You're waiting for God to show up and say something to you. No, his promises are in his book. And 2 Corinthians 4 says, they're all yea and amen. Yes, and they're true. Yes, and they're true. And these are the promises. And people have counted them, and they say there's something around 7,000 promises. That's a lot of promises. You say, yeah, but, what, but which one is for me? Read them. They're all for you. God didn't write you know, part of the book to somebody else. He wrote it to us. This is God speaking to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, Every scripture, each and every scripture is breathed of God and is profitable. And so there are promises in here. How do you know which one? I don't know. Read the Bible and find one. Just open the book. Read it. You'll find a promise that you say, oh, that works. And you know what I found so many times? Is no matter where I'm reading, God takes something from where I'm reading and helps me see something in my life that I need. It's just right there. Why? Because this book is not just ink and paper. It's alive. The Word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This is God's word to us, and the Spirit of God will take those words and make them alive to us. Somewhere out of some verse, He will speak to you, and it will come to you as, wow, this is a promise. You know, we have these promises, and it, we look at the natural things, but we, we don't discount the promise. The promise is something that God said. So I've shared this story before, but when I was in between being called to the ministry and studying to be a doctor, I worked for a chemical company in Ohio called Ashland Chemical, and uh, I worked in the foundry division, and they said, you know what, we'll, we'll pay for you to get your master's degree, and we'll then pay for you to get your doctor degree, we'll guarantee you a salary, a position here with the company, and um, we'll pay all of the training and, and any of the things that you need to have, all of your books, anything that you need. We'll take care of that, plus keep you on insurance and give you a living. And it's like, wow, this is, this is pretty good if I wanted to be a chemist. But it was about that same time that God spoke to my heart and said, hmm, 
I got something else for you to do. The first time God spoke to me, I, I didn't even know how to understand what it was he was saying. I just cried. And um, Jan said, what's, what, what's, what's happening? And I said, God's talking to me. She, what's he say? I had no idea. I don't know. I don't know. But the second time that happened, I said, uh, he's calling me to ministry. But I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what it meant. So then when we shared that with, with family, they, they weren't encouraging did you ever share something that God has spoken to your heart with family or friends? And it's like, that's stupid. You know, it make you feel like a real idiot. And um, my, my dad, when I told him that I was going into ministry, he just, he just turned and walked away. Um, my mom said, I can't believe you don't want to be a doctor. She couldn't give up the doctor thing. Uh, you could make so much money. That was her. That was her response. Jan's mom. Her words were, "You know what? If you be in the ministry, you're always going to be poor. So not only are you not going to make a lot of money, you're going to be poor. You're always going to be poor, and that's what was told us. And um, her father had nothing really to say." Uh, everybody's response was negative. Everything was against. But I needed something, and I, I believed what I was doing was right. I, I had something in here. I was felt like I was following a call. And so in the one morning, I was getting ready, and uh, I was in the shower, and we were just a little Baptists at this time. And I didn't know what it was to hear the voice of God. Like I'd already said, God spoke to me, and I said, I don't know what he's saying. I, because as Baptists, we're not supposed to, God's not supposed to talk to us. Was, no, I'm just. But um, a, lot of, a lot of people say, well, God doesn't talk. Well, he talked to me. And I had never heard the voice of God before. And the Lord spoke to me and said, don't you think if you give your life to serve me, I'll take care of you when you're old. Amen. And that became like a promise. Here we were. We, we still had nothing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't take care of all of our bank account. didn't fill up or anything like that. So off from Ohio, we went, you know, down to Oklahoma. I had a kind of a, in my mind, like an, a, a, a picture of Oklahoma, dry, Cactus, sand, rocks, cowboys, Indians. You know, that's what I, that's what I thought Oklahoma was. Got here, and the uh, Baptist College down in Shawnee is like Colonial Williamsburg. Red brick buildings, white trim, you know, two, three-story buildings. It's like, okay, that was, that was a stupid vision. You know, so anyway, things progressed through school, through into... Uh, moving here to Tulsa to work at Sheridan Christian Center. A couple of years, Brahma had just moved out to Broken Arrow. Started going to some meetings out at, at a Broken Arrow through our spiritual parents, the Spragues, and I uh, heard a number of just incredible speakers. John Osteen was always my favorite. And, um, and so we'd go out there, and I was hearing these promises, words, instructions, faith. 
And uh, finally, I left my position at Sheridan, and I was invited by Dr. Stewart, Ken Stewart, to uh, teach at Rama, 1978. And so they appointed me, and I got my classes ready, and uh, first day we were all lined up in there. We were handing out books and um, you know, what has become now you know, the Nanowski Center, but uh, we were out there handing out books, and uh, students were all lined up. They were just building the campus, and the students were out there lined up all across the campus, and you know, m- more than I'd ever seen. I didn't know where in the world all these people came from, but they were, they were from everywhere. And my spiritual dad grabbed me and pulled me out into the, the uh, little street there and looked back across all these students in early morning, and the light shining down through them and kind of dusty. And he said, look at this. These students have come from all over the world, all over the United States. And God has given us an opportunity to teach them. And uh, it's not what I saw. I didn't see students. I saw adobe buildings and red tile roofs. The same thing I'd seen in my vision when I was in Ohio. This is where God was calling me to. And, you know, all of those things that sometimes we think, well, what, what does that mean? What's, what's it for? God gives us promises so that he can fulfill them. And that's the point. So look down there toward the, uh, right above the top of your page two. No, he didn't waver against the promise by unbelief. He didn't mark out something and make a judgment against to set a limit. He didn't say, well, God's promise is not true. No, he said the circumstances don't fit. But the promise, the promise, God kept coming back with the promise. And it took 25 years for that promise to come to pass. What does it say after that? By unbelief. Instead, he became empowered by the fact of believing. He became empowered by the fact of believing. Now, notice the the progression of the words. It was faith that brought the strength to accomplish the promise. He became empowered by the fact of believing. Too often we want... We want one thing first instead of the way God wants it. He wants us to believe. And then comes the power. Released to accomplish what it is. Before you get saved, you have to believe. You can't say, well, if, I, if God saves me and I feel it on the inside, then I'll believe I'm saved. No, you need to believe the promise of the word. That if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you should be saved. If you believe that he died and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Believe that. Well, when I feel it, I'll believe it. When I see it, I'll believe it. No, you believe it. And then comes the power to change. And so you believe and then you are changed. So also, whether we're talking about healing or peace or restoration for family or an open door before you or provision to meet some need, you believe And then comes the power to fulfill what it was. Abraham 
was empowered by the fact of believing. And so he received that power inwardly to produce the child. That's what God was telling him. But he believed this for how long? 25 years he believed this. So just because you're believing doesn't mean it's going to happen right now. It's, that's not always what it says. It can. Thank God when it does. But how many of us have been believing for something for a long time? But we don't deny the promise. Yeah, the circumstances don't say it. No, the circumstances don't show it. But I'm believing the promise. And so God has given us these promises to establish these things. And Abraham's faith was not the power. His faith was in God's promise. And his promise included the power to accomplish what he had said. And he did this, look toward the middle of that page, as he was giving glory to God. So he didn't make a judgment against the promise, but he was empowered by the fact of believing as he gave glory to God. And so this giving glory to God becomes a major part of the formula, if I want to call it that, of, of receiving the promise. You continue to give glory to God, no matter what. Abraham didn't deny God. Even when God told him to take his son and sacrifice him on a, on a mountain, he didn't deny God. So I'm, I'm going to find me another God, because this God is not what I want. Uh, no, he, he did what God said, believing as he was giving glory to God. And so this whole act of faith and holding on to faith and redirecting your attention from the circumstances and the natural situations to the promise is the way we give glory to God. And this is, no, God's promise is greater. God is greater. So he gave glory to God by choice. He believed the promise, and he became strong to accomplish the thing that God had said. So that's, that's the grace of God being fulfilled in Abraham's life. This was the way God wanted to bring him into the fullness of his promise. Then verse 21 says, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Convinced that God is able to do. Not I am able to do, but that God is able to do. Sometimes we get this so wrong because sometimes our faith becomes the thing that we're believing. And I hear people say, well, you need to have faith in your faith. No, I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in God. Faith in God's promise. It's, it's not my faith that's accomplished it. It's my faith in His promise. And so all the faith in the world that I could walk through that wall won't change anything. But if God has made a promise to me, I'll do what it says I'll trust him in the promise because I can't make it happen. I couldn't make it happen before. I can't make it happen now. And so it's faith in this promise is what God wants. And so I can't, God can. That's his grace. That's God fulfilling. And so he did what? He believed that God was able to do what he said he could do, being fully persuaded, fully persuaded. He was convinced or fully persuaded. God said he would do it. 
Abraham believed if he said he would do it, he would do it. He was fully convinced. The, the idea of this Greek word fully convinced means to be totally swallowed up with it. it filled. It's a Greek word that means to be filled to the full. He was filled to the full. He, he was totally caught up in this promise. Do we know that if God made a promise, he would do it? Do we, do we know that? So, why do we question his promise? If he said he would, he will. And time and again we see this in Abraham's life. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees not knowing where he was going. Well, there's a, there's a journey for you. You know, and it's generated that Columbus to Oklahoma. Talk about not knowing where you're going. My strangest thing, coming, coming across in the, from Missouri into Oklahoma on I-44 were these signs of the road that said, do not drive into smoke. I'm thinking, what, 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 what does that mean? Who wrote that? Because it doesn't even make sense. Don't drive in smoke. Is that what they're saying? Don't drive in smoke? I, I could not make sense out of do not drive into smoke. It just... It just didn't register until the first time I saw a grass fire. And then do not drive into smoke made all the sense in the world. So, you know, you, you leave not knowing where you're going. We came to a strange place and we went to this one little apartment and then we lived there for a few months and then it was like, okay, we can't pay this. So we had to move down to another apartment and then we moved to a smaller apartment ended up in a bigger but cheaper no air conditioning and kind of kind of brutal in an Oklahoma summer with no air conditioning but we had a water cooler and you could just get wet and you know try to cool off but so that was that was all of the things that God had for us but God had a promise and that first day of Ramah when I stood there and I saw those adobe buildings and red tile roofs I knew this is where God told us to come to. You know, each one of you has some journey that you've made and some journey that you're still on. Walking the promises of God out in your life. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with a job. Maybe it's with a work of ministry. But you're, you're in that process. And you believe the promise. God made a promise to you that he would support you. And he took us <laughs> in all these ways. Abraham, he separated from Lot and took, in a sense, the worst land. But God blessed him beyond. He trusted God when he gave tithes to Melchizedek. He conquered all of this, this incredible amount of money from Ketileomar. And he had all of the spoil that this king had taken from every city. He trusted God when Melchizedek showed up and gave him tithe, gave him 10% of everything that he had. And then the rest of it he divided up among his men. He says, I don't need any of this. Why? Because Melchizedek said, God most high is your provider. You are blessed by God most high who possesses heaven and earth. 
And Abraham said, I don't need this stuff. Because God is going to take care of me. And so it was that he was willing to do that. And then, of course, with Isaac, offering Isaac on Mount Moriah, well, everything he'd believed for. And now he's got to take this child up on this mount. And by the, by the way, by that time, he was a young man. He wasn't like a baby. He wasn't a, even a teenager. So he takes him up there to sacrifice him. But the book of Hebrews tells us something about that. Because Abraham was so convinced that this child was the promise that God had made. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17 through 19. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says that Abraham was convinced that if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead. Wow. Now, that's a challenge. But he believed that. Of course, Isaac didn't die. But this was a way that he gave glory to God, believing, becoming strong in faith. And so this is how he moved from promise to fulfillment. Now, go down to verse 22. Verse 22, that is why. This is my heading. That is why. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. See, all of this whole context, this whole story of Abraham, is to help us understand that faith leads to righteousness. The believing God was the way to a right standing with God. Don't think of righteousness as a as a some kind of a substance that you're going to get. Righteousness is right standing with God, being in that right relationship with God. Believing God, believing in his promise, elevated Abraham from friend with the world to friend with God. And so this was this was a relationship that he'd moved into, right standing with God. That this all came about by what? Just because he believed. And so what he did, his faith gave glory to God. His faith showed that he had believed God's promise. And his faith showed that he believed what God was able to do. He gave glory to God. He believed what God promised. And he believed God promised it. He would do it. I like the story. It's, it's, in, the, it's in a couple of the Gospels of Jesus and the... Uh, and the leper, and the leper came to Jesus, and he said, "If you will, I can be clean." So here's a young man, a man who believed he could, and there's a lot of people that believe that God could. The question is, will he? If you will, I can be healed. I know you could do this, but will you? And we are facing a world today, a culture today, especially here in America. Uh, our culture is, is, well, God could, but he just stands off. And so it's like a new movement of deism. And deism that simply says God is there, but he's uninvolved. 
He watches. He could do something, but he doesn't. And what kind of person are you if you could see someone who is actually suffering and you're not going to do anything to help them? That, that word that goes along with that is coward. Our God is not a coward. And he doesn't stand by while he watches people suffer. He can. He will. But he's asked us one thing. Will you believe? Will you believe? And so this faith in God brings him into this relationship called righteousness. So he was counted as righteous. But then notice the next statement. And this was not written for his sake alone. So Paul says, I'm not telling this story just to tell the story. I'm not telling this just so that you can see that Abraham had faith. No, this is not just about Abraham having faith. It's about you. Because it's not your works, and it's not keeping the law, and it's not fulfilling this, and it's not being able to do that. It's you believing God, and he will bring you to this place of righteousness. So these lessons in faith that he taught here concerning Abraham are about us. And they're about us in what relationship? It says, this is not for his sakes alone, but for ours. For every one of us who what? What's the next statement? Who believe. But for all of us who believe. So this wasn't just about Abraham. Abraham believed. Read the story. But do you believe? unto righteousness, unto right standing with God. So all of this about Abraham is to bring us to this place of faith. The just shall live by faith. And so this, who believe in Jesus, who believe that God, who made a promise, is able to fulfill it. Who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He raised his son from the dead. Do you believe? It's not he raised his son from the dead. You're in. No, only if you what? Believe. Believe. Believing is absolutely essential. And so it's counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And so the element of faith is absolutely essential. And again, we'll see this as we move in our next session into chapter 5. Because he's going to come on down through here and talk to us about what faith does, what righteousness does, what salvation does for us. And he ends this with this little phrase, verse 25, who is delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus, our Lord, raised from the dead, delivered for our sins, raised for our justification. Given up, delivered up for our trespasses. It wasn't his, it was ours. He was delivered up because of our sins. So take that little word for and retranslate it because. 
He was delivered up to death because of our trespasses, not his, ours. And then take that same little word for, retranslate it because, and he was raised because of our justification, which is what he's going to talk more about coming up in chapter 5. He was raised up because of our justification. So, which took place first, his resurrection or our justification? We were justified. God saw the death. He died because of our sins. God saw the death. He saw the sacrifice. He saw the, the proper um, sacrifice offering had been made. Blood had been shed for the sins of mankind. And when that was done, then God raised Jesus up from the dead because we who believe have been justified. And so all of this Paul will enlarge upon, especially here in chapter 5, as he talks about the whole principle of what our redemption, our salvation, and how all those things tie together because of what God did. And so our justification, our being made righteous was the basis for God raising his son from the dead. If there was no righteousness to be given to those who believe, Jesus would not have been raised from the dead. So this it wasn't just about him dying on a cross. It wasn't just about him taking our sin away. It was about God making us righteous and then raising his son from the dead. And therefore the resurrection becomes to us a seal of the promise that God made. You believe and you shall be made righteous. So this is the promise that we have from God. We have been made righteous, justified, brought into right relationship with God. Father, we thank you for the promise that you've made to us. We thank you, Father, that righteousness is ours because of the death of your Son. We believe in his death, and Father, I thank you, we also believe in his resurrection. We thank you, Father, that you have done these things for us. We had no participation. We just believe. Father, help us to Take that message to those who need to believe, not wait, not hope for, but who need to believe in your glorious work of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, remove the blinders from the eyes of people who are absorbed with themselves. Open their eyes to this gospel that they might be saved. And we thank you for these things, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.